In the name of one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. To many baby boomers and their parents who watched his daytime television show, House Party, Art Linkletter was the perfect straight man who could ask a grade schooler a simple question like, what does your mommy do? And elicit this response. She does a little housework and then she sits around all day reading the racing form. The popular segment from the television show that aired from 1952 to 1970 led to his 1957 best-selling book, Kids Say the Darndest Thing, and a television show by the same name, and several sequels, the latest of which is hosted by Tiffany Haddish. I just spent the past week at Chapel Rock, our diocesan camp and conference center with 60-plus children and youth from preschool through high school. Six blessed days with the glory that is God's youngest disciples. Believe me, the kids from the network shows have nothing on the kids at church camp. Sometimes they say funny things. Sometimes they say silly things. They say things that are hard to believe. They say things I don't want to believe. And sometimes they say things that are incredibly profound and thought-provoking. Sometimes what they share is sorrowful beyond measure. I never know what conversation or experience will prompt them to go deep, theologically deep. Kids say the darndest things. I share this moment with you as it was shared in the context of both prayer and it was shared publicly. A six-year-old child from our mini camp shared with me that he or she was concerned about another camper, a new best friend. And the concern was that this camper might not feel safe in the world, that this new best friend was experiencing sad things. And this camper wanted to know what could be done about it. What could we do? And what is Jesus doing about it? And why is there sorrow? Why are things sad? And do we feel safe in the world? About this time, I was trying to come up with a six-year-old explanation that would include a redirect as well. And it occurred to me that this was the sixth anniversary of the massacre at Emmanuel AME Methodist Church in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, June 17, 2015. Evil made a dramatic appearance as a Bible study group was attacked by a mass murderer. Racism, terrorism, and hatred outmaneuvered fellowship and inclusivity and the good news of God's love for us. And the more detail that became available, the more sickening it became. Uh, we often like to say, um, this would never happen here, or um, this isn't who we are. But we in the mainline church came to hear that this is exactly who we are, uh, and this could happen uh, anywhere. This person chose his path, motivated without any doubt by racism. And he was a quiet, suburban kid who was raised in the Lutheran church, and not a conservative Lutheran church, uh, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, a church that is in full communion with the Episcopal Church. 
he was presumably like us, faithful, upstanding Christians, not them, ideological radicals. I remember preaching that Sunday after it happened. Uh, I remember wondering, um, what was Jesus doing? Where was Jesus on that night? Why wasn't Jesus alert and awake? Why was Jesus doing the equivalent of uh, sleeping with his head on his backpack in the back pew as hatred was swirling about, as bullets were devouring revered secular and religious leaders and beloveds of God? And I remember wondering, teacher, do you not care that we, do you not care that they are perishing? And while I've had this question on my heart more than once in the past year, our siblings of color really have the right to ask this question. We are right to cry out to God when evil breaks down into the world, and we are right to ask the questions. What are we to do? And what is Jesus doing? And why is there sorrow? Why are things sad? And are we safe? These are questions from a child, but they're the same questions that travel around in my mind when I struggle mightily with my own faith. And if you remember when Jesus wakes up, he rebukes the storm and then immediately he rebukes the disciples. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And even though the disciples bore no responsibility for the storm, they were in it. They were in it just the same. And when Jesus rebuked the storm, it fell to a dead calm, not really good sailing weather. So if that boat was going to go anywhere, it was time for the disciples to pick up their oars and start rowing. I certainly hadn't the heart to rebuke my new young camp friend for his or her faith and for these important questions that were on his or her heart. Remember in the story, despite the rebuke, Jesus provides courage and direction. And for us, the Creator God provides hearts and minds and bodies and wills in order that we might make use of them to work together with Christ. And in a sense, the church is in one big boat and everyone has something to offer. And confronted with an evil on the scale of racism, everyone has an opportunity to do something. But what do we do? What can we do? In the 1949 book, Jesus and the Disinherited, authored by the African-American minister and theologian, Dr. Howard Thurman, he asks, what does the religion of Jesus offer to those with their backs against the wall? What a great question, and I struggle to answer that one as well, similar to the questions from my six-year-old friend. And back to that camper, who clearly could tell that I might be doing my own wondering, my own pondering, and as we sat in silence, I heard a small voice that said these powerful words. Perhaps I am that safe place that my friend needs. Wow. Wow, from a six-year-old. 
perhaps I am that safe place that my friend needs. I have stood steadfastly against racism when it was convenient for me, when I had nothing to lose, when doing so wouldn't rock the boat. And other times I've fallen short of the image of God and through inaction I have become complicit in the hideous prejudice of people I thought I couldn't afford to alienate. I'm learning and I'm growing. And as I know better, thanks be to God, I'm doing better. I'm being better. I've learned about Juneteenth and the significance of the date and its implications. I'm working to become a similar safe place that my friends of color need. And I'm leading in a church that is actively doing the work that God is giving us to do. Dr. Thurman's question, though, still stands. What does the religion of Jesus offer to those with their backs against the wall? The church has to be more than a safe place. We have to do the work, do the work of the gospel, to proclaim in word and deed that we who are created as God's beloved children, we are all to be created and loved and treated as God's beloved children. Racial reconciliation isn't the work of people of color. And those who are responsible for intentional aggression, they aren't going to offer their help in dismantling racism. The work falls to reasonable, conscientious white people to step up, to open wide our hearts, to let no incident of racial prejudice or aggression, great or small, go unchallenged, to be intentional in cultivating real friendships with people of color and listening openly to thinkers and leaders and creators who come from different backgrounds, to capitalize on opportunities and expanding access to positions of power and authority, responsibility, prestige, and trust to people of color, and to consider the implications for justice in every choice we make. That sounds like a big job, and it is. But Jesus will be there with us every minute, every step, every stroke of the way. And even as a persecuted minority himself, Jesus knew what it was to rely on faith, to cry out to God who did not seem to be doing much to relieve the suffering. But Jesus did what God called him to do. And we who follow him on the way, we are to strive to imitate his example of faithfulness and together see that what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote is true. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And so in this hope of justice, which is the hope of Christ, we live and move and have our being trusting the far greater power of Christ's love and forgiveness. Jesus' words are sure. 
His power is absolute. His is the boat, the journey, the peace, and the victory.